AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app, and happy listening. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up a seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by my pal, an amazing AI analytics-focused marketer, Christopher Penn. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow the show so you don't miss any of our future content. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Chris. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey, y'all. I am so excited to be joined by my friend and amazing marketer, Chris Penn. If you don't know Chris, he is an authority on all things analytics, digital marketing, marketing technology, data science, and machine learning. He's typically my go-to source for anything analytics and AI related and is the co-founder and chief data scientist at Trust Insights. He's responsible for the creation of products and services, creation and maintenance of all code and intellectual property, technology and marketing strategy, brand awareness, research, and development. Wow, that's a mouthful. Chris, how do you do it all? I don't own a television. (laughs) I have very few friends. (laughs) I know. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's a lot when we talk about AI. So I'm excited to dive into the topic of AI with you. But first things first, as you probably already know, what made you and Katie decide to kind of take the leap and start your own agency? We were both working at a PR firm. Previously, I had been there at that point about four or five years. And at that point, we we're starting to see that we saw from very early on. I started messing around with AI and machine learning in 2013. Yeah, 10 years ago now. And I'm like, this is where this stuff is going. Like, This has legs. This is going far because of what it's capable of, even way back then. And the firm was going in one direction. I was going in another direction. And then it got acquired. You know, all the fun that happens with agencies and acquisitions. And things really changed direction at that point. We were like, you know what? This here, this AI thing, this is going places. Let's build an agency around data science, around AI, and leave behind the PR stuff. Because, you know, that's not what we're good at. And we were not PR professionals. We worked inside of a PR firm, but we were not PR professionals. And so that firm has gone on its way and still is around today. But Trust Insights really launched from that. And now, obviously, with the huge amount of interest in things like generative AI, we're really busy. Yes, yes, so busy. And tell us really quickly, just for those who are watching or listening, what kind of clients do you serve? So if it's AI and analytics, is it everyone? Is it a particular industry? Or does it kind of run the gamut? It runs the gamut. And especially with artificial intelligence these days, it is something that has no vertical. Right? You can use generative artificial intelligence in every role, in every function, in every industry. There's not a single industry that does not benefit from AI because these tools, these large language models work with language. There is not a single industry that does not use language in some capacity 
And as a result, there's applications across the board. Now, because of our size, you know, we're not a huge company. We typically work with mid-market. So anywhere from 5 million in revenue to 500 million in revenue. We do work with enterprises, but typically a part of the enterprise. Like we're not going to be managing the enterprise AI strategy for AT&T, you know, as a, as a, <laughs> as a collective. If you work for AT&T, call me. <laughs> Actually, yes, I, I will second that. Call Chris. So let's talk about artificial intelligence from a 30,000 foot view, right? How has it, if you can summarize, transformed the marketing landscape in just the last couple of years? Like, right, forget about where we are right now and with everything that's happened this year or at the end of last with generative AI. What's happened the past couple of years? It's a moving target. So artificial intelligence fundamentally is about getting machines to perform tasks that typically require human intelligence, right? So if you can watch this video and it's not gibberish to you, you have vision right? And we have things called computer vision where computers are trying to do the same thing. If you're listening to the sound of my voice and what I'm saying makes sense, it's not just noise. You're using what's called language processing. And computers, of course, have natural language processing, which is the discipline trying to teach a computer to do that. And so for the last, I mean, AI is not new. Artificial intelligence has been in theoretical existence since the 1950s. And in fact, today's architectures for how these systems work are based on actually on neuroscience knowledge from the 50s and things, which is kind of funny when you think about it. And so this stuff is not new. This is like almost 80 years old now. However, what's changed for marketing in particular, and especially for marketing agencies, is how accessible it is, right? 10 years ago, when I started working with this stuff, you had to code and you had to code in some pretty arcane languages. There was really no good interface. There were no companies that were making SaaS software products for these things. You just had to be in the labs tinkering and trying to make things work at a very bare bones code level. Over time, more and more of this technology has found its way into marketers' hands. When you work with a tool like Google Analytics, there's a tremendous amount of AI happening behind the scenes you're just not told what it is. I mean, this is true in general. You yourself have been using AI in some capacity for 25 years, whether you know it or not. The very, very first anti-spam measures, the spam detection software came out in the late 1990s and every email service provider has been using them. So if you've been protected from some amount of spam in your <laughs> inbox, you have been using AI, whether you knew it or not. Right. And you know what? I, I have to bring this up because I love what you said to me recently. So I went to Chris, as I said, he really is my go-to for all things AI and analytics. I went to you and I said, okay, I have this idea for this program that I run. And this was like two years ago, right? And you can't give me some ideas on like what I should do and how I should look at programming this thing or coding this thing or hiring a developer to build this thing. And then more recently, I saw you on stage at the MakeCon event, which is Paul Reitzer's AI and marketing conference. And you said one of the best tips I feel like you gave was having a conversation with AI, right? Using ChatGPT and just have a conversation with it. So that's what I did. And I took this idea that you gave me about this program and through this conversation, ChatGPT built the code for me using Python and then suggesting some middle layer software and whatnot. So, I mean... To say that it's accessible is an understatement because I have zero <laughs> coding knowledge. And yeah, and, and even so, based on your advice, I was able to kind of like build this the, the program, have the code for the program, talk about ways to implement it, and even ask ChatGPT to write a scope of work for a developer who might build the actual program, which is very accessible. So I can't say enough about what you're saying. If you have even the slightest bit of interest in AI, I think it's important to 
start having conversations with it to figure out what you can do, right? Exactly. And to recognize there are situations where it's not the right tool, right? A tool like ChatGPT or another large language model, there's Claude and Bing and Bard and all these things. They're language models, which means they're good at language. If you're dealing with a task that is not a language-based task, they're going to be bad at it, right? So there's plenty of things where, you know, math, for example, they're, they're not particularly good at. And so it's part of understanding how to apply these tools is to understand, is it a problem that is suited for AI? And is it specifically a problem that is a language problem that a language model like the one that powers ChatGPT could tackle? Yeah. Well, so tell us, about some of the challenges that you're seeing. So you have these clients, you yourself are using AI. I know that you've talked to other agencies like myself who are trying to figure out how to use AI. So what challenges do you think are really common when it comes to these marketing agencies or or marketing agency owners implementing AI into their operations? And how do you suggest that they fix that or overcome those challenges? The number one question, everyone starts off with this, what tools should I be using? Which tools are the right ones to use for my agency? Where do I get started? What tool is it? It's kind of like saying, well, you know, which blender should I be using? Well, what are you making? If you're making margaritas, you know, get a decent mic. If you're making steak, you should not be using a blender. Uh, right? That's, right? That seems like common sense to us. But when we're confronted with a new technology, we tend to, to laser focus on the technology and not what does it do? And is the problem we're trying to solve fixed by that, right? If you have raw beef, the problem you're trying to solve is to cook it in a way that's safe and tasty, right? A blender is the wrong tool, without a doubt. Unless you're making beef soup, maybe that's about the only application I can think where a blender would be helpful in this example. But if you start off saying, you got to get this blender and that, you know, food processor and this, that, and they're like, no, no, what are you cooking? What are you cooking? Before you do anything else, figure out what is your cooking? And then we can talk about the appliances, aka the tools. Do you have a recipe, right? Which is the process. And do you have any skills with these tools? Are you going to like hack your own hand off, right? So that's the people. So we have this framework, trust says, the 5P framework, a purpose, what are you trying to do? Like not be hungry. People and their skills, processes, aka recipes, and then platforms, the technology, and then the performance. Did you do the thing? When we're talking about AI, people immediately leap to the platform and they skip past all the other stuff. And that's a real problem, especially in organizations and doubly so in agencies because Agencies make their money typically by the hour, right? Value-based billing has not taken off quite the way we want it to. So a lot of people are still doing the whole hourly thing. Your agency is in mortal danger from AI. Your agency is in mortal danger from AI if you bill by the hour, because suddenly a task that took 10 people and 40 hours a week that you're billing at $125 an hour, that task takes two minutes now. And one person does it. And so you're like, so I guess I'm billing $8 to this client that I used to bill $8,000 for. What do we do? So a big part of thinking about AI as an agency owner, as an agency practitioner or professional is what is the value we create and how do we bill for the value of it as opposed to the time it takes? And so as people are starting to think about these AI tools, yes, get to know the tools, please. Because again, you want to be able to use tools safely. But you've got to have a much bigger picture that they, what you were saying, Brooke, that 30,000 foot perspective of how is this going to change my business as an agency? And if you are businesses valued by time you spend, your business is in mortal danger. Yeah, that's such great advice. And I think, you know, it, it, it really begs the scenario of needing to really do your research right now, like be in the research phase. One of the other pieces of advice that I came away with from you and from the conference was 
to build an AI council within your organization and have this council, whoever it may be, do research on the AI tools that are out there, what you're trying to achieve, right? Who's going to be using it, the people who are going to be using it, and then do these quick sprints to kind of test the idea of this tool or this program or whatever it may be solving that that problem or that process that you have. Let's talk a little bit more about tools, because in all honesty, when I first went to Chris about this podcast, I said, hey, why don't we talk about some tools? And you were like, hey, how about not? (laughs) Because the tools are changing so rapidly right now, right? I mean, we've already moved through a couple of iterations of ChatGPT and it's gotten vastly better, but this is still the worst AI that we'll probably ever see, right? So it's hard to make tool recommendations, but are there any AI tools, platforms, you know, LLMs or large language models that you feel are indispensable currently or that you like to use the most? It depends. It depends on the task. So I will give you the same advice that Professor Ethan Mollick gave to to folks at Macon, which is stay close to foundational models. So this means using tools like ChatGPT or Claude from Anthropic or Google Bard, Microsoft Bing, et cetera. You typically want to, to not jump immediately to some SaaS-based companies tool because one of the things that has happened, and we saw this at Macon Conference, I'm sure we'll see it at Social Media Marketing World and, and many other places, is that vendors will build an architecture and a system around a language model that they like, but they won't build it with any kind of abstraction layer, which means that when the underlying models get better, they can't simply pick that model up, pull it out, put a different one in, right? They've not built it for that kind of flexibility. So a lot of these vendors that are currently on the market, that are selling these AI solutions to the marketing space are built on a model that is now three years old. And it is not going to deliver best in class performance for any task because it is so old compared to the current models. So one of the big questions that we'd like to look at with tools, if any kind of vendor paid tool is, Tell me about the underlying model. Tell me its architecture. Without, you, know, you have to give away the secret sauce because the secret sauce is all the training data. Tell me about your architecture and then tell me about how flexible it is. It's like going to a car dealership and saying, okay, well, what is the engine inside this car? And how easily can I pick that engine up, pull it out, and put a different engine in? And if the, the person says you can't do that with, with our tool, and, you know, then it's like, okay, then your tool is frozen in time at the, at the day you've, you, you released it and you can't change it. So the foundation models are things like Claude and ChatGPT, et cetera. Well, the the models themselves. There's one tool that I am a big fan of on the open source side called LM Studio. It's a free open source piece of software. It is a little bit technical because what you do is you install this interface. It's a nice desktop app. It looks nice and stuff. And then you go to a place, a a repository of models called Hugging Face, which is sort of like the (laughs) app store for AI. And you find a model that fits your need. One of the things I like about LM Studio is that because those models, you have to download them and you run them on your computer and it will, it will make your computer's fans go, but it all happens on your computer. No data leaves your computer. So if you're working with sensitive information, like protected information, healthcare information, financial information, it's never leaving your control. So if you are working in a regulated industry, this is the way to safely use a language model. So that's the one of the tools that I recommend, but be real careful about Vendor tools, other than the foundation models, you're better off putting in a lot of time and effort learning how to, to work with foundation models because they're going to evolve too. This morning, uh, literally this morning, Facebook uh, Meta announced that the successor to Llama 2, their current 
best-in-class model, is coming very soon. They said their labs have gotten a new version. I don't know if it's going to be called Llama 3 or whatever, but it rivals GPT-4, which is OpenAI's oh, wow. model. It rivals GPT-4 in performance. And unlike that, Facebook, Meta, <laughs> I keep calling it Facebook, Meta is just going to do as they did with Llama 2. They're going to give it away. They're going to give this thing away for free. When you think about that, it is crazy that they would invest these millions of dollars to build this model, only just hand it out like candy. But they're following a playbook that Google did back in the early 2000s with Android, the Android operating system. They just gave that away. And now Android's in everything. It's in your TV. It's in your refrigerator. It's in your blender. Facebook wants to do the same thing with its language model and just give it away to the world so that everyone can use these things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really smart piece of advice there as well. Like if you're implementing today through like a, some sort of like SaaS tool, you're probably already obsolete, right? Depending on how you operate. All right. So I thought it would be fun to go through three scenarios with Chris because he's here. He's great. And he's really good at off the cuff. So I came up with three scenarios that I'm facing. And I know other agency owners are facing too, just based on some of the conversations that I've had with some of you and within my mastermind group. So let's go through these scenarios with you, Chris, and then you tell me what you would do if you were an agency owner, well, you are, but if you were one who weren't so up and up on AI. So let's first talk about closing the deal right? That involves negotiating, contracts, legal, right? That all takes a toll on time spent. How can AI help you save time or money in this scenario? One of my favorite tools for this is Claude 2, which is from Anthropic. Any contract that I get, an NDA, an MSA, etc., I load to Claude 2 and then I have a series of questions I ask it like, how fair is this contract to both parties? How bilateral is this NDA? Are there any gotchas in here? If I say, uh, you know, I want to have the ability to talk about a, some client work that I do or use their logo in my slides or this or that or the other thing, I have a list of these questions. And these, and these are plain language questions. These are not like arcane secrets. These are questions that you ask as an agency owner. Like, can I use this, your logo in my slide deck to show off that I work for you? You put those questions in a, in a text document and then you ask them, you load the contract and you, and you ask Claude those questions. And you will be surprised at how many times Claude will say, or, you know, the, the language model will say, yeah, don't sign this NDA if you care about bilateral protection of data, right? Don't sign this NDA if you don't want a term that's, you know, eight years long. Don't sign this NDA if you want, or want to be liable for this, that, and the other thing. And then you say, rewrite clause eight on confidentiality to be fair and bilateral. And then you send that back with, a, with the AI's red lines and say, okay, these are the things that we're going to change in this contract for us to sign, assuming that you have the power in the, the negotiation to do so. You would be amazed and will save you money. It will cover your butt so much because <laughs> you should have a lawyer, obviously. You know, human lawyers are always going to be the best choice because humans can you know, have liability. But as a first pass, as an inspector, as a reviewer, as a QA, or as a, as a gut check for any contract, you put it into AI and you say, okay, I got these questions about this contract. Tell me. Tell me what the landmines are in here that I might not be thinking about. Are there things that would be hazardous to my business if I sign this contract? And I have not loaded a single contract into the system that hasn't flagged at least one thing, even if it's minor, but at least one thing was like, okay, this could come back to bite me if I don't get this fixed. Wow. That's such awesome advice. Okay. So I have, an, I have a follow-up scenario or question. What if you flip the script? Have you ever used AI to generate 
an MSA master service agreement or contracts? And can you tell us how that works and how that goes and what some best practices are? Yeah, I mean, I've done that several times now. My favorite things with NDAs, uh, generating NDAs, generating website privacy policies, generating GDPR compliance. And you start off by saying, yeah, you start off by saying, hey, I've got this website. You know, I've got this website. I use these tools like the Meta uh, Pixel and I use Google Tag Manager, I use Google Analytics. Write me a privacy policy for this site that incorporates the best practices of a privacy policy. It goes through, it does it. And then you keep asking it questions like, hey, I do business in California and CPRA is a thing. You know, what do I need to do? adjust to this privacy policy? Are there other practices you've seen that are best practices? Then you go out to you know maybe a, a non-competitive site or an industry site, and you look at their privacy policy, look at the section headings, and just compare and say, hey, here's the section headings of this policy that are not in mind. Do I need them? And if I do, please incorporate them. And so you'll end up with a very comprehensive policy that you then hand to your legal team. And instead of then spending 12 hours writing this and billing you $350 an hour, it's like two hours for them to review this. So you save some money there. And it may even cover things that they didn't think about. Because one of the things that AI does is it it has what we call perfect memory. It knows the entirety of the space. And so humans, you and I are fallible. We'll forget stuff. Even the best lawyers will forget stuff. So if you have a machine go and say, here's the best practices for what should be in this thing, then it may prompt the lawyer to go, oh yeah, we need that clause in here. Or no, you don't need a severability clause in this because it doesn't apply you know, to your, your jurisdiction. But that sort of thing is, is the way that I've used these. NDAs. MSAs, any kind of agreement. I did recently, as a thing for a friend, I did a severability agreement, which is basically a divorce agreement to help my friend out. Cause like, yeah, she's like, I can't afford $350 an hour for a lawyer to do these things. Can you help me? Can the AI do this? I'm like, yeah, we can do this. We'll at least do a first pass. And then again, hand it off to a real lawyer, but they're not going to spend 10 hours and charge you five grand for something that you can cobble together with an AI's help. Ah, such good advice. And you just saved everyone who's listening or watching like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, right? AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show. Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. There. Okay. Scenario two. We're both agencies. We have to create copy and imagery as a part of what we do. And that obviously takes a lot of time. So how can we use AI to help save time, money, or both? And though, can we do this without taking work away from the people on our creative team? Here's the follow-up question. How important is copyright? Machine-made content cannot be copyrighted. So if you're making it for yourself, you put up a blog post that's AI generated, you are forfeiting the ability to enforce copyright. If a competitor comes along and copies and pastes your blog post or your image, you can't do anything about it because it's not protected by copyright. That's true in the USA. It's true in many jurisdictions. So if you care about that, then that's you cannot use machines to create content. Real important, check your contracts with your clients. If there's a clause in your contract that says you assign intellectual property rights to the client for the work that you do. You cannot use AI with that client because you are violating that clause. You cannot assign intellectual property rights to something that cannot be protected. So it's real important. 
please check with a lawyer. There's several excellent lawyers. Uh, Ruth Carter over at geeklawfirm.com is an outstanding lawyer in this space. Sharon Torek at Torek Law Firm is an outstanding lawyer in the space. These are folks who understand this law. They are humans and they can provide you professional guidance because I am not a lawyer. But those are important considerations. As an agency, you have to think about these things like, okay, are we endangering our contract? Are we in breach of agreement because we're you're handing out stuff that can't be copyrighted. AI in for, for all content creation is is phenomenal for ideation, for brainstorming, right? So here's the copyright whammy. If I give chat GPT an outline and it writes the blog post, the blog post can't be copyrighted because it's machine made. If chat GPT comes up with the outline and I write the blog post from the outline, it can be copyrighted because I, I the human, have done the actual final work product and stuff. So the final work product to be fully protected by copyright has to be made by a human. So to your question about how do you avoid losing, you know, uh, taking away work from creative people, that's how, right? You have human beings be the final set of hands on a work product so that it, is, it, it retains copyright protection. Now, if you don't care, there's, a, there's plenty of content that doesn't need to be copyrighted, like the emails that you send to a client, right? Hey, here's your status email for the week. Like, that doesn't need a copyright. And I would hope that's not your secret sauce as an agency. <laughs> we write really great emails, monthly reports to clients, for example. One of my favorite things to do is I will go through a monthly report and I will, you know, in PowerPoint, I'll leave like all those little boxes and call outs and stuff like that. And then I have a Python script that I wrote with ChatGPT that extracts the text from all those boxes and puts it in one text document. And then I feed that back to ChatGPT and say, write me an executive summary of this 62 slide report. And suddenly, now I have a well-written executive summary for the report that's taken from my notes. I don't have to sit there and think, whoa, what did I remember to write on slide 45 about this? I don't do that anymore. Other things, anytime you're working, and this is particularly your agency, Brooke, customer feedback is so important. On-site surveys, reviews, et cetera, and yet no one's using it. If you take that data and extract it from the systems it's in and you feed it to a language model that has a big context window, one of the things we do for our clients that I love is, okay, take these thousands of comments, give me five positives, five negatives by percentage, and give me three things to fix. And that is the executive summary on that client report for their, the performance of their website entirely. They love it. They love it. They see huge value in it. It's leveraging the voice of the customer. And I'm not spending 80 hours distilling this stuff. When I run that report beginning to end, it's 10 minutes of my time. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because I'm actually writing an ebook right now for five different customer care prompts to use for AI. And I might just quote you on the one about the reviews because I have the reviews in there, but I love your anecdote there, which is like, take by percentage the top five, the bottom five, and then tell me where to go from there. Love that so much. You want another easy one, a real simple example? Yeah, yes, obviously. <laughs> go on to your reviews. Copy and paste all your five-star reviews, yours, your client, whatever. Feed that into a document, into a training document, and then say, write me social media posts or Instagram captions, TikTok captions, whatever, from this. Because as marketers, one of the things we do wrong is like, oh, our product is the most flexible, scalable, turnkey integration, blah, 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 right? We have all these opinions about our product that nobody really cares about. When you use the real voice of the customer as the source data, social media copy, 
guess what? It performs better because it's from real people. It's not what you, the marketer, think. It's what your customers think. You will have better performing social media content just from using the voice of the customer. I love that you said that too, because it's so true. We have so much voice of customer data. And I think we get like mired in the, you know, mountains of data that we have. And sometimes it becomes really hard to try to understand, okay, what does all of this mean? What can I do with any of this? But if you start using some sort of large language model or ChatGPT or whatever you want to choose, or it's a tool. Again, I'm not, I'm being agnostic here, but you can use those tools to help you figure out what to do with mountains of data and very little time. So I think that's a huge takeaway as well. Okay. So we talked about reporting a little bit, but reporting's a big one, right? This is a big time suck for agencies. You know, I know for one of our clients that has 12 product lines and we do their social care, we, it takes up to 30 hours for us to produce these reports every month, right? So how do you use some sort of generative AI or AI program to help you save time and money on those types of reports, right? Those really intensive reports. You gave some examples earlier, but give us all the goods there too. So this is a case where language models are not going to help. Mm. Right? Remember we talked about, is it language or is it not language? Reporting data is not language. Reporting data is math. So the workaround is to use language models to write code, which is language, to then process the data, right? So you have Google Analytics, for example. A lot of people use Google Analytics. Google Analytics has an API, an application programming interface that other software can talk to. You fire up the language model of your choice that is capable of coding. It could be Star Coder, it could be Code Llama, it could be ChatGPT, doesn't matter. And you say, I want to write a piece of code that will connect to Google Analytics to extract this information from it. You know, that's your first piece. Then you write some more code with the help of these tools. Again, you don't have to do the coding to say, I want to summarize the number of visitors and conversions and say, break it out by channel and stuff and show me all this stuff. And what you end up with at the end of this process, and it will take you some time, but it's not rocket surgery, is pieces of code that you live on your computer that you then run once a month or once a week or whatever long the client needs it to spit out the reports, right? So if you have Sprout Social or Sprinkler or Algora Pulse or whoever, it doesn't really matter. As long as they have APIs or data exports, you can then write code that will process this data and turn it into PowerPoint slides, right? And then you, the human, just slot those PowerPoint slides into a deck and that, and then it's up to you now to interpret that. However, if you want to kick it up another notch, go into any tool that has a dashboard of some kind, right? Uh, Google Analytics, uh, whatever. Take a screenshot of it. And then you go to Google Bard, you upload a copy of the screenshot, and you say, interpret this Google Analytics report. Tell me what it's saying, because I don't fully understand. And it will write you an analysis of the slide, right? It will write you an analysis of the report. And again, what's really nice about this is that these tools have innate knowledge because of how they were trained. So they will give you a good first draft. And then your, your humans, instead of having to sit there going, what am I going to write in this report? Right? <laughs> You immediately put them in edit mode. Here's what the language model spit out. Please edit it for this client. Make it appropriate in tone. Um, you know more about this client account than you know, Google Bard does. So you can you can explain certain things that Bard might not understand because it doesn't know the intricacies of that client. Like that client hates Facebook. So there's a reason why Facebook's not in the report. And that dramatically speeds up your reporting. But it also increases the quality because we all have team members who are some are who are very skilled at reporting, some who are moderately skilled, and some of whom need a lot of professional development. 
this brings a standard of everyone's reporting to, you know, above average. And then you can take the, the those reports to, that are above average, hand them to your best performers, say, okay, now take the support a step further, give some insights on top of what the machines generated. And for the other folks who are on the team who are not the, the rock stars, it's an opportunity for them to do some training to see what is a combination of what the machine puts out plus what the, the rock stars put out that will be able to up-level everyone's skills. I am not a rock star, especially with GA4. So I love the idea of taking like a screenshot of some of our data and being like, hey, Bard, help me out here. What does this mean? I love that so much. Okay, ethical considerations, right? You, you've mentioned a little bit on this earlier, like, hey, what do your client agreements say? A lot of us probably don't even have AI written into our agreements with our clients and that needs to change, right? So how can other ways besides agreements and legal or maybe it's part of that, but how can we ensure as agency owners that the AI tools and strategies that we're using are ethical and transparent and especially when it comes to client data? Like start with the contract and what else? Okay, so client data. If it contains any data that you is under your NDA, you cannot use a third-party service for it, right? So if a client set has put you under NDA that covers data they give you or their systems give you, you cannot use it with a chat GPT, for example. Can't do it. You can use Llama or the any of the LM Studio models that run locally because you are not handing data to a third party. Those models run on your computer. So it's the same as you were handing it to you know, your intern. It, that, that's totally fine. But you cannot hand it to a third party. So that's one part. Two, you should. It's not legally required yet, but it will be soon. You should always disclose the use of AI where and when you are using artificial intelligence, A, for copyright protection, but B, also to, so the client knows what they're looking at. And three, you never, ever, 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 ever let AI output directly be handed to a client. It must always go through human hands at some point. A person, if you're sending it to someone who's paying you money, a person should look at that and go, huh, that's weird. Sorry about the accidental racist overtones of this, this paragraph that the machine wrote. You know, you need to have a human doing QA, right? Think of these tools essentially as really, really smart interns, right? They're really smart, top of their class, but they're still interns. Would you allow an intern to hand a reporting deck unseen by you to the CEO of your largest client? The answer should be no. No, right? absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. And so that is the role of these tools today is they are the really smart interns, right? They cost as much as an intern or less, but they're really smart. But they're at the same time, they're really naive and they can do things that are unexpected. So you as the human in the loop have to be the one to say, OK, I bless this output is as good or we made some changes and things. It will still save you a lot of time. It will still save you. It will still up-level your quality. But those are, the, those are the big three things that I think are the most important when it comes to ethics and law and protecting your agency. What about, okay, let's say you have permission to you know, use a client's data. What is your viewpoint on personal identifiers, right? Because a lot of this information that we have on client data could be considered like a personal identifier for someone. What is a personal identifier in this realm of conversation? And, and how do you suggest, you know, the agency deal with those before using AI? So a personal identifier, personal identifying information is any piece of data which can be used to uniquely track somebody. That can be an IP address, can be an email address, can be your name, your phone number, your postal address. It's anything where if you looked at that piece of information, you or a very clever person could reasonably reverse engineer that is that even applies to like latitude and longitude coordinates, right? If it's sufficiently 
targeted enough. Like you, you know, like that, we use latitude and longitude to drop bombs on people, so it's it's clearly identifying information. That's what personal identifying information is. And then there's two categories of it that are extra special. There's sensitive protected information, which is information that is exceedingly dangerous. So things like a social security number or a national ID, information tied with your identifier, like your race or your religion, stuff like that. Is, that is uh, sensitive information that can be used to discriminate. And then one layer on top of that is called PHI, protected health information. This is its own category. You know, your weight, for example, your, your blood pressure, even things like, you know, how often you work out, your menstrual cycle, your SpO2 levels, whether you've had COVID or not. All of that is data that is protected health information that must be kept basically under lock and key. This is a whole discipline unto itself of, of data protection and what companies need to be doing, and they should already have these practices in place, is A, the data has to be secure in place wherever it is, right? If it's on a server, that server had better be locked down. B, when it comes to AI, there's what's called data clean rooms, where data comes into these processes that it's cleansed, right? So all personal identifying information is removed. And in many cases, things that are categories, say like your ethnicity, are replaced with dummy variables. So now, instead of saying Brooke Sellis is a Caucasian female, you know, it's the name Brooke Sellis is gone. And right, there's a, an indicator maybe of gender. And then there's you know, some numerical codes. And then that data is then, depending on the sensitivity of it, that could either be used with by AI directly in, in more classical machine learning, or it can go through another layer of processes called synthesis, where tools look at patterns in data and make a synthetic data set that matches those patterns, but contains none of the original information. And that data can then be handed off. That would be for things like healthcare information, where you cannot risk even anonymized data getting out. You just, you just want the, the patterns of the data to replicate it. And that then gets handed to AI for use. So those are kind of the three big layers and the things that people have to take into consideration. If you are an agency, you absolutely positively should be reading your confidentiality, data protection, and IP clauses in the contracts you sign. And if you have not read those, this is a great time to go back and read what you signed, load it into the AI of your choice, and ask it questions like, hey, you know, do I need to turn on File Vault on my employees' PCs? The answer is yes, if you're touching this information. Social media data, by the way, falls under the category of, at the very least, personally identifying. And depending on the content, it can be other stuff. If you are gathering up tweets or what do we call them? What do we call them now? Twixes? Posts. I don't know. I don't Posts. know. Yeah. I still um, say Twitter. <laughs> if you're if you're gathering up threads, right? Yeah. Or okay. what, what are they called? A blue sky clouds? I don't know. Oh, just say post. Posts. That should cover most of the platforms. If you're gathering up a list of posts and even one of those posts is someone talking about, oh, you know, I've had an allergic reaction to my COVID shot. Guess what? You now have healthcare information. Whether you meant to or not, you have healthcare information in that data set. And so now you have to treat it as such because especially places like Europe and California and China, that information has very, very strict penalties. China's law, for example, is the most strict on the planet. If you leak sensitive protected information and your executive set foot on Chinese soil, they will be arrested they will go to jail, right? And not wow. the nice jail, the Chinese jail. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the penalties in, in the People's Republic of China involve the arrest and detainment of company employees. So you don't just get a fine. Like some people are like, oh, yeah, we'll just pay the fines, cost of doing business. Yeah, we'll see how you feel about that when you're in, you know, Xinhua province, you know, breaking rocks into smaller rocks. I don't want to go to any jail. No jail. 
<laughs> so take Chris's advice so you don't go to any jail, not even the nice one. Club fed. Okay, so you've dropped so many, <laughs> so many nice, amazing, wonderful, money-saving, time-saving tips. But where do you think we're going with this, right? Like, where do you see marketing agency owners and AI going in the next, I don't even know if we can say five years, in the next year, let's just say, because it's changing so crazily. What's your top advice on how to kind of meet this trend where it's going to help people who aren't there yet embrace AI and to hold on to this rocket ship? Here's what is happening right now and what will be happening in the very near future. With the release of Meta's Llama models, there is no excuse now for every software vendor to not incorporate language prompting in every application on the planet, right? If you are a software company and you're not thinking about putting this these style of things into your product, your product's going to be obsolete, right? And I don't mean, you know, you know, not every product needs to be able to say, oh, you know, I want this thing to write limericks, right? No, what we're talking about is logging into HubSpot, for example, with the ChatSpot add-on saying, which prospects do I need to talk to today? Right, and it will go through the data. You log on to LinkedIn. You should there should be a little box that says, "Show me the top five connections I need to engage with today." You log into Intuit QuickBooks and you say, "Who owes me money today?" <laughs> right? These are all the kinds of natural language things. When we look at what's happening, Microsoft is incorporating Copilot into Office. I can't wait. And into Windows itself, right? So you'll have a language prompt in Windows saying, find me this file that I think I remember that I've worked on a while ago. I have no idea where it went, right? And it will go ahead and do those things. Duet is coming to Google Workspace and so on and so forth. So every piece of productivity software that you use is going to have a language model in it very, very soon. Which means that as an agency owner, as an agency employee, you need to learn how to use these things really quick, right? really darn quick so that you can be productive. Because what we say all the time is that AI is not going to take your job. A person skilled with AI will take the jobs, plural, of people who are not skilled with AI. I used to work you know, at a PR agency, and we had these, this one level of uh, team member, account coordinators, the, sort of the junior most people. And one of the jobs they had was copying and pasting news article results into client reports, right? They copy from Google into a spreadsheet, and they build it $125 an hour for that. If you have 10 account coordinators doing it all day, you can replace that with one account coordinator who pushes the go button on a script that ChatGPT wrote. And comes back in an hour and the week's worth is done and that employee can be put to other use. The other nine employees you don't need anymore because that task is so easily automated. As an agency owner, you should be looking at what are the repetitive tasks that are language-based or code-based that we can have AI assist with? What are the processes that are repetitive? Um, and how quickly can we use machines to, to automate even a portion of the process? You don't have to automate the whole thing. You can automate a piece of it right now, get that five hours a week of time savings. And then as time goes on and people have more and more bandwidth, you can get more and more stuff in place. So those are the things that agency owners need to be thinking about and implementing today, right? This is stuff that people should be doing today. If you're not, you're missing the boat. Where this stuff is going, the open source models are going to eat everything because they push the burden of computing away from a big company like OpenAI. You know, right as of, as of the time of recording, ChatGPT is struggling. It's on the struggle bus today. Like you can't, it's unusable today. When you have a language model that runs on your machine, yeah, your machine's fans are going to spin and stuff like that. It's going to sound like a jet engine taking off depending on the kind of laptop you have, but it's always available. It's yours to work with. I can use the Mythomax model in LM Studio on a plane. No Wi-Fi, nothing. I can, as long as I got electricity, because it, it does chew up power, I can use language models 
in a cave, right? The where a lot of the stuff is going to be going is you're going to see these things in everything. Every piece of software will have them. And we're also going to see what are called ensembled models, which is where tools are built as ecosystems. So it's not just one language model. It's a, it's a suite of them all doing different tasks called agent networks. These are already in existence. They are very powerful. They are a lot unstable depending on the use case right now, but they are maturing really fast. There's a real simple one called GPT author that will use a language model to write a 15 chapter trashy romance novel. It's not very good, right? It's not very good. What it produces is exactly what you would expect out of a trashy romance novel. The authors use that because the bar for it is so low. However, it is far beyond what the tools could do three months ago. And in three months from now, it may write good romance novels, you know, or may write sci-fi novels. Who knows? But these ensemble networks are able to do these tasks. And that is where you're going to see a lot of the power because what's happening now with models is the big models are great, but they're like you were running into computational limits to how, how big they can get. So what we're going to see is models becoming ensembles, kind of like when you buy a laptop, they now advertise, you know, this has a 16 core processing system because it's got 16 processors instead of one big one because it's just more efficient that way. Same thing's going to happen with language models. And so that's where things are going. Apple, you just yesterday talked about the new iPhone, the iPhone 15 that has eight neural cores in it. Mm -hmm. um, guess what? That is powerful enough to run a language model on your phone. It will get hot in your hand, what? but it's powerful wow. to run language models on your phone. So these tools will be everywhere. And as an agency owner, you need to be thinking about how do I use them? What are the applications I can use them for? How do I train my employees? And going back to what we started at the very beginning of the show, how would you bill for the value your agency provides, because if you bill by hour, you are doomed. Powerful words. We could just keep going on and on and on, but I, I don't think we can do a three hour show. So maybe we'll just have to have you back again and, and again and again. But tell everybody where they can find you, what you're working on, all the goods, because I know people are going to have a lot of questions. And like I said, you're my go-to source. So they may want to make you their go-to source. Sure. So if you have questions from this episode, you can go to our free Slack group. Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers. That's the best place to ask questions. We're all there all the time because we have no lives. If you have questions in general or you want help with the stuff, trustinsights.ai is my website. You can find stuff. And we just finished working on our data-driven marketing planning guide for 2024 using artificial intelligence, actually using a predictive analytics. It tells you week by week for the next year the best weeks of the year to run marketing campaigns and the not best weeks by quarter because we want to know, we, we use it based on how people search for things and specifically people searching for out of the office, right? When people search for out of office Outlook or out of office Gmail, what are they about to do? They're about to go out of the office, right? Which means that that week, the, the following week, you probably should not send email or make social post campaigns or, or put up a big you know, promotion because no one's home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Smart. This calendar tells you exactly the exact weeks for all of 2024 so that you can plan your marketing now and get ahead of the crowd. Oh, and it's free. Oh my gosh. Yes, it's free. And I'm literally going to hang up and go download it myself. I hope you do too. We'll make sure that we have the link to this in our notes on the YouTube channel. So you can always run there and click on that link to go to find this thing that we're talking about, or you can always go to the trustinsights.ai website. Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate all of your amazing advice on how to save gobs of time and money using AI. I'm always happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. 
If you've been a longtime listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and Twitter. And for fun, make sure you tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures of marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.